0: Yo, this hot, this the spot, there it is, pod We're interviewing the best comedians, so tune in quick and get your ears receiving them. We talking about life and life to stream right to you from the microphone right to your home, dude. Side note, this might get embarrassing, but no don't sweat, yo,
1: cause there it is. Welcome to the There It Is podcast, a podcast for comedy creators of Any Ilk. I'm your host, Jason Farr. Let's do this. I hope you're having a great day. Thank you so much for checking out the podcast, especially if this is your first time listening. I do appreciate it. Why don't you go to thereitispod.com and find old blogs and old episodes. You can listen to us on iTunes or SoundCloud. And please do leave a review and subscribe to the podcast. Really love last week's episode. Really love today's episode. It's with Mark Kendall from Atlanta. He performs a one-man show called uh, Magic Negro and Other Blackness, as well as a couple of other things that he's put together. He's really fantastic, and that's why I had him on. He may not be the name of other guests that I've had on, but he's doing something really great, and I think he is somebody to watch. We talk about his history in the... World of improv and performance. He's got a lot of interesting, fun things that have gone on in his life. And we talk about how you can create your own one-person show. It is a very great talk. Here it is, my chat with Mark Kendall. Thanks for being on the podcast.
0: Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, thank you so much, yeah.
1: Where did you get your start in doing any sort of performance work?
0: Uh, yeah, so I guess started doing comedy in college Mm-hmm. Uh, I was a film major at Northwestern University, and okay. I joined um, my freshman year. I joined a, a sketch group. Uh, Northwestern had a student group called Northwestern Sketch Television. Mm-hmm. And basically, it was like a group of film students and theater students, and they would get together and write and like produce their own video sketches. And so, my freshman year, I came on like as a crew member. So, I was a crew member freshman and sophomore year, and then junior and senior year, I was a writer. And then my senior year, uh, like I appeared in one of the sketches. And then earlier in that fall, I took my first improv class because mm-hmm. um, I was at the uh, the annoyance, uh, theater, or I was near at the annoyance theater. Um, but it, was, it was interesting. Uh, so that was like the first time I performed. But I uh, wasn't uh, really like a performer at the time per se. So it's like wow. I went to school to like be behind the scenes. So like I, I had no interest uh, in performing really.
1: Yeah, you then, wanted to create uh, stuff, but you didn't want to be yeah, on camera.
0: Totally, totally. And so, um, but then the summer after my junior year, I did this internship with uh, Comedy Central. It was mm-hmm. called like Chris Rock Summer School. So Chris Rock, he set up this thing over at Comedy Central that was for uh, minority writers or writers of color it, from co- in college specifically mm-hmm. uh, to come and spend like a summer at Comedy Central in New York. And so what you would do is you would, Rotate through different departments, uh, seeing what it was like to be a writer in different positions, or like having writer-related jobs. So it's like you'd spend a couple weeks in their like, you know, their online department. So you'd like work on different blogs that they had going, or you would spend a couple time or a couple weeks like an on-off air promotion. So the people that would write like the the little quick commercials that you see for Comedy Central in between their shows. Uh, we spent like a couple weeks in development, but the best part was uh, I got to spend a week with the writing staff of The Daily Show, and I got to spend a week with the writing staff of The Colbert Report. And uh, wow. not like interning though; like I, I just kind of got to shadow them.
2: Yeah, and, that's really like, cool.
0: I, I, yeah, and so like I, I would sit in on all the meetings uh, that they had, and uh, and they would also like give me uh, like personal assignments. So like, they're like, okay, so like these are things that we would write. For the show, you know, to so go off and write these things, and then occasionally, like, I'd get to like pitch jokes to them mm-hmm. uh, as well. And so it was like really. Did you cool get
1: anything theory. on air?
0: I did. I got one line on the Colbert Report. Uh, so like the opening, uh, he had like that opening segment where he's just mm-hmm. like tonight, and then he has like three lines, right. and then like one final punchline, and he's like, "This is the Colbert Report." And so I pitched something in a version of it wound up in one of the shows which is, like, for every action, I have a superior and opposite reaction or something to the Colbert poor or something like that. Yeah. And, um, and so that was, that was cool. And, like, uh, and they were very supportive, you know what I'm saying? So it's just, like, I mean, so they, like, tweaked it to make it something that they could use, you know what I'm saying? That's
1: um, so cool, though.
0: Yeah, no, it was a great experience. And, uh, and the Colbert Poor in particular was really cool. Well, both of them were really great. But the thing that I found was that so many of the writers on both of those staffs were performers. And so, mm-hmm. and then being in New York that summer, uh, I mean, uh, and they put us up, they put us up like in these NYU dorms. So we were right in the village. So it was just so easy mm-hmm. just to like walk to open mics, like for stand up. So, mm-hmm. so many of like the daily show writers in particular, and a lot of the people that I would meet, uh, either other, they, they called us rock turns. So like other, mm-hmm. Rock turns that I would meet were also like dabbled in stand up or getting into it, <clears throat> or people that worked in these different departments were comedians of some kind. So I was like, Oh, so this is just like a natural extension of writing. So it's like, so there wasn't even really like any pressure attached to it. I was like, Oh, I don't even really want to perform, but I want to figure out if these jokes work. Right. So I started going up and uh, to open mics just telling these jokes, and it was fun, you know. So like that summer. Like, I kind of started doing stand-up, and then the week that I was at the Colbert for, in particular, I guess, you know, because Stephen, having been from the Chicago improv scene, mm-hmm. uh, and his uh, his head writer was from that scene, and a bunch of people, like, high up uh, in the creative team were from that Chicago improv scene, mm-hmm. there was, like, a really heavy improv community feeling. So it's just like, so, like, when I would pitch an idea and the way that they would make it better, you know what I'm saying, and be like, oh, good right. job, you know? There was no reason for them to do that for me, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> But it was sort of like that improv spirit that I really gravitated towards, and I learned that a lot of them did improv in Chicago. And so since I was like Northwestern's in a suburb of Chicago, so it's not, it's just a train ride to get into the city to take an improv class. So anyway, that fall, when I came back from my senior year of school, I, I took my first improv class. And even still then, it wasn't even really like, oh, performing something that like I want to spend a lot of time doing, it was just like, this is a way to get better at writing. Right. It it's like, if you you can hear how the audience responds to things, if you can hear how words actually have to get on, be said on stage, it just improves your writing. And I felt, I felt like it did. I feel like a lot of times, at least beforehand, uh, when I would write a lot, you know, you write things out so that they read well. So like you hand a script to someone and they read that script Mm-hmm. read well really, really well, and that's a useful skill for sure, yeah, but if it's like if you're like in a sketch group or you know what I'm saying, you're like handing something off to someone then yeah. gonna go get read out loud, you know you want you want to that. sound
1: good, yeah, yeah that was yeah, why and, I got into comedy. I got into comedy because I wanted to be a better writer, and I was reading a book oh. that said to do stand up if you want to get better at writing and uh, or want a job writing for a show. And they said, do yeah. stand up because that's what they all do. And, uh, I, and this person who wrote this book is more of a stand up person, so they didn't mention anything about improv, but sure. I went into comedy. You have the way cooler version of that story, but that's the same <laughs> the same <laughs> yeah. reason why I went into it. So you yeah. went to the annoyance theater for your first mm. class. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh, and I liked it a lot. Uh, it was sort of like an isolated class because meaning like I took that first level one and, uh, and it was my senior year. And because I was kind of busy with a bunch of film stuff back in Evanston, I didn't take like a an improv class, like immediately after that, you know, because mm-hmm. yeah. uh, I, I was already kind of like involved in comedy groups, primarily like as a writer at, at school anyway. And, mm-hmm. uh, and being a film student, most of the free time I had that senior year was spent working on film. So I was able to get that like little improv class in there, there. And I, I, I didn't really revisit it. Um, <clears throat> Improv specifically, anyway, like that much um, in college. Uh, but uh, after I finished school, I moved back to Atlanta, which is where I'm from originally. Mm-hmm. And uh, the and I started pretty soon getting involved with like Das Garage Theater Company, which is mm-hmm. um, one of the theaters here in Atlanta. It's a really great place. And mm-hmm. so I started like interning there to get free classes. And so that's kind of that ended up being like my more like, I guess, like formal or more regular introduction into like learning how to perform comedy. And so that, so most of that kind of started after college.
2: Mm-hmm. So, uh, and, uh,
0: you in, 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 uh, know, and, and the reason for that, I suppose, is that like, you know, in Chicago and Evanston where I was in school, there were a ton of sketch groups. And so would, like sketch comedy was a big thing in Chicago. So, you know, if you didn't want to perform was easy to just be a writer, you know? Right. And then when I moved to Atlanta, while the stand-up, or while the comedy scene has grown a lot since I've moved back, and so there's <laughs> a bunch of things going on now, when I, when I moved back to Atlanta, uh, sketch was mostly non-existent, you know? like Right. Uh, there, there was stand-up, and then there was improv. So it's just like... And how you long wanted, ago
1: did you say that was?
0: Uh, like 2009, I moved back to Atlanta in 2009, okay. towards the end of 2009, 2010. And, um, so when I, uh, so when I moved back, it was just like, if you wanted to like do any kind of comedy, which I did, it's like, you kind of had to start performing. So, mm-hmm. so that's kind of why it pushed me further into the improv realm.
1: Yeah, that's great. Mm-hmm. And it shows, it shows in your work. How oh, so thanks, thanks. you've been doing improv and, and other performance since 2009, essentially, and, and at least in the Southeast you did, yeah. of course, a little bit before that, as you mentioned, but mm-hmm. what else are you doing, or what do you do during the day? Are you doing anything sure. in the film industry or anything?
0: Uh, a little bit. So, like, I've had, like, little sh- short jobs in the in the industry. Not quite as much, so it's just, like, it's interesting, like, you know, I studied film most of my time, uh, as I've spent more and more time with improv, has been spent more on stage stuff, but when I moved um, back to Atlanta, uh, I started working as a, like a casting assistant at Tyler Perry Studios, which was a very interesting experience. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so I got I was there, but it was a brief time. Uh, and then after that, I started uh, interning at uh, Dad's Garage, and then I sort of started taking like little side gigs to make time to do improv and comedy at night. Uh, and so now I spend like a lot of time like you know uh, teaching or doing gigs, and occasionally like I'll have like little side gig or whatever. But uh, m- most of the stuff that I most of the gigs or jobs I take are kind of like in the stage realm and then occasionally because there is a decent amount of like like, you know, random film or media stuff to um uh do in Georgia now, I, I do a I I a little bit of that.
1: So, oh, cool. You yeah. said that the experience at the Tyler Perry studios was interesting. What what went on there?
0: Yeah. Uh well it was interesting because um I haven't spent time on like a ton of television shows or any or anything but it's interesting going from like because just the year before i'd spent a little bit of time like at the daily show Mm -hmm. and the colbert report and they do uh their staff their each respective staff so like the daily show and the colbert report at least when i was there they turn out like four episodes of television a week, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's like a late night show, you know, like right. a desk, maybe a couple desks or maybe a couple guests and then like, you know, some jokes, you know, mm-hmm. like they would do like four episodes a week. And that was like a ton. Mm-hmm. And then I went to Tyler Perry Studios. And at the time they had Meet the Browns running and House of Pain, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, they had some departments where it was like, oh, this is the House of Pain department and this is the Meet the Browns department. But certain departments, like casting, for example, uh, which which was the department I was part of, they were doing both shows. And so we would be doing Meet the Browns and uh, House of Pain uh, at the same time, shooting sometimes like four episodes a week mm-hmm. of both show, shows. Oh, wow. And so, it's, it's like, a sitcom is kind of unheard of because, like, he kind of, you know, kind of created this new way of, like, shooting episodes really, really fast. You know? Right. And so witnessing that was just kind of like, wow. And then on occasion, like, he he might have, like, a movie in a certain stage of development at the same time, too.
1: Right. You know?
0: And so for all this to be happening in Atlanta on top of all that was just kind of, like, an interesting thing to watch. It was.
1: It was yeah, he signed, yeah. before he even showed one episode, Tyler Perry signed, a, like, a 100-episode deal with TBS. So they just started pumping him right. out.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah. And just kind of seeing what it takes to pump something out that quick was just interesting because it's like you know uh like an fx show you know what i'm saying like mm-hmm. might do like 10 episodes a year you know or like a british show might do like six mm-hmm. episodes a year so right. like seeing them do man like dozens of episodes in the span of like three or four months was kind of interesting because you kind of yeah. see like all right so this is what it takes to make this and this right. is what it- or I mean, uh, and not that I've been, I haven't been on like too many other shows, but it was just sort of interesting seeing like the sacrifices you make uh, or the benefits of like going so much faster, basically. Right. Uh. That's unreal. But, yeah, I know it was crazy. Um, and and uh, and and it was also kind of interesting too because I, you know this was like 2009 or so, so I was still pretty new to performance. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was great to watch because I just watched so many auditions. And uh, it was it was cool just like watching that uh, because it's just like I learned so many useful things about being a performer, which was like uh, so many times, like if you do or do not get a role, it has like just nothing to do with you. Like I, I, I watched it so many times where it was just like from my perspective or from someone else's perspective. And this isn't just like this show. I mean, I feel like this is pretty much any situation.
1: This is anything. Yeah, so is. much of it is just, oh, you know what? They remind me too much of someone who's not who I envisioned for this role.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're just like, I just witnessed so many things that were out of the performer's control, basically.
1: Right, exactly, and, yeah. And
0: all, yeah, and so it's just like, oh, that was kind of like a relief. You know, Like it was just like, oh, okay. Um, and uh, yeah, that, I think that was like a big takeaway from it.
1: Um, yeah. That is a really good takeaway to have because you're going to hear no more than you hear yes if you're an actor and and uh, trying to get film roles or TV roles. And yeah. a lot of it really does just come down to they have a very particular thing that they envisioned that they're married yeah. to. And yeah. you may not fit that, and that doesn't mean that you're a bad actor or that you— ruined yourself during the, <laughs> during mm-hmm. the audition. It just means yeah. you didn't fit that specific thing they had in their mind. Mm-hmm. Wrong yeah. or right that they had it in their mind. That was what was in their mind.
0: Yeah. 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 yeah.
1: I first saw you at the Charleston Comedy Festival at the beginning of this year. And mm-hmm. Uh, that was where we all here in Greenville saw you, and immediately we were like, "Who is this guy? He's amazing!" <laughs> because oh, you and the thing is, not only were you good, but you were good in a jam. That's where we saw you. We didn't see oh, okay. your solo show yet, which I do want to oh, okay, talk gotcha, about. Gotcha. But we saw you in the jam and didn't know what to expect from you because you were standing on stage and you're wearing a jacket, and, <laughs> <laughs> and you're wearing like. Uh, You may have been wearing like a, like a toboggan or something. And so Uh, we were like, what's that guy with this jacket? (laughs) (laughs) Who is this guy? Who's who's wearing a jacket on stage? It's so cumbersome. And then just out of nowhere, you just crushed. And it's, not easy to do well if I don't know how many listeners do improv, but it's not easy to do well on a jam because you're performing mm-hmm. with people you've not performed with or you don't know that well yeah. and so you don't really know their nuances of of playing style. You seem mm-hmm. to have a really clear perspective of how you approach a scene or a very clear method. Is that true?
0: Uh, I think so or at least at least I try I, I try to you know, maybe it's part of like the annoyance thing. Uh, I like taking the annoyance class because they're, or at least what I took away from it was they're really big on scene starts and just like having your own point of view. So, so I think that that type of style perhaps lends itself to like a jam type setting where mm-hmm. it's just like, well, no matter what everybody else is doing, you may not necessarily be even comfortable with, with what everybody else is doing. But if you have your own thing kind of going on, you can at least contribute
1: that. Yeah, and that's the thing is. I think that is a good lesson to learn. I know some people talk about McNapier, who started Annoyance Theater. In his book, he says, take care of yourself first, which some mm-hmm. people don't like that language because it sounds like don't be concerned with taking care of your scene partner to some people. That's how they read it. But I do get the perspective of have something <laughs> that you were doing at the beginning mm-hmm. of a scene. Like have a perspective. Have a, you know, be a particular type of person. Having that mm-hmm. at the top of a scene certainly does make that character seem like it's more formed than a lot mm-hmm. of scenes. A lot of lot of characters look at the beginning of an improv scene. Mm-hmm. And I think we picked that up from you. I think that's what we're picking up on. So I'm not mm-hmm. surprised to hear that. I feel like I'm still trying to figure out my method of approaching mm-hmm. starting a scene. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yes, scene starts is a big thing.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. And when did you start doing your one-man show?
0: Uh, I guess about uh, two years ago. Um, the cool thing about uh, Dad's Garage is that in addition to being like an improv theater where we put on improv shows every weekend, it's also like a straight-up theater company. Mm-hmm. So like every year they produce like a season's worth of scripted content and plays. Um, but a lot of time, well, all the... Uh, but the plays are cast by or or, or, are filled with improvisers. Right. So you go and see, and it's kind of cool because it's just like, you get to go see these scripted plays where the people playing with each other are comedians and they're used to playing with each other Mm -hmm. versus like, you know, a a collection of casts that is like, you know, where some, a bunch of people audition, you throw together a cast, you know, you try to get them to gel. The cool thing is it's like, they're all already kind of gelled and they're trying to like adapt to the material.
1: That's very Uh, cool.
0: Yeah, it's a cool thing, and so and then in addition to that, uh, most of the stuff that we've been doing over the past couple of years has been like original stuff written by our improvisers. So uh, so each year, uh, for the next year, for the next two years or whatever, you can pitch um, scripted content. So it's like you can be like, oh, I have this play that I want to do, uh, and then there's kind of like a like a pitching voting process, and then that's how we decide what stuff we produced the following year. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, back in, I guess maybe 2014 or something like that, um, I, I pitched m- my solo show, and then I did it later that fall uh, at Dad's Garage. And so that was kind of like the first time uh, that I did it. And then since then, it's been through like sort of like several iterations. Um, uh, but But I guess the... Short, uh it's kind of like a long answer but 2014 <laughs> oh
1: no that's awesome no that's that's i wanted yeah. all that information cool, cool. what made you want to start doing it what what made you say "Ah, i should do a solo show
2: yeah um
0: well uh you know i've always really liked uh sketch and and you know that's kind of where comedically like i started back in college
2: mm-hmm. and
0: so when i moved to atlanta and there wasn't uh as much sketch i kind of like kind of went down the improv rabbit hole for a while but i always really wanted to get back to that whole sketch comedy feel Mm -hmm. and so once i had been at dad long enough and i had the opportunity to uh pitch something i was just like oh maybe i could do a solo show because uh, uh a couple other people at dads have done solo shows in the past and so like one uh show that was like pretty cool for me to see was uh, Amber Nash, who's a performer at R.P. Yeah, yeah, she's
1: uh, on uh, the next episode.
0: Oh, fantastic! Oh, yeah. that's so great. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. Well, she's the best. So, uh,
2: she,
0: is. so, she, so she did uh, uh, a solo show at Dad's Garage that was great. And in preparation for that, uh, she got a bunch of Dad's Garage improvisers together to take a solo performance class with her. So it's hmm. just like, so she, uh, so there's this really great uh, uh, professor uh, at UGA um, to, that specializes like in, in solo performance, and uh, George Contini is his name. And uh, and so he would come down to Amber's place, and we'd all just kind of crowd into her apartment <laughs> and like learn about solo performance from this guy. And he'd like uh, show us clips. So we so I watched like Donald Iguizamo's stuff, oh, and then yeah. like a couple other people's stuff. And like he kind of take us through exercises and kind of gave us some really interesting pointers to get us started on the path to putting together what was needed to make a solo show. So asking really like good questions is helpful to at least, even if you don't have the answers to like trying to think about if you're going to try to put together like a longer piece for yourself. So like, uh, who, like who's your audience, like who you're talking to, or like in the show, who are you talking to, mm-hmm. like, sentence of what is your show really about you know like if you're going to answer those things it'll make a much more focused like effort and so um Mm -hmm. so i took that class and that was like really good framework and um you know uh in 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 college uh kind of going back like why i wanted to do the show that i did in college uh, i was studying filmmaking and i was you know i still am i really Passionate, passionate about like storytelling, mm-hmm. uh, as well as visual storytelling. And I loved my time at Northwestern Film University. Uh, but uh, during my four years there, I was like the only black guy in my class. Mm-hmm. And there was one uh, other black woman that transferred in sophomore year, but she wasn't as actively involved, you know, in the mm-hmm. in the making of film and things like that. And there were like maybe a handful of black people a couple of years above or below, but generally like in my classes i'd be the only uh black person and mm-hmm. uh and saying with the professors you know it's just like a very white environment which i'm used to and everything but when it comes mm-hmm. to film it's really interesting because it's like if you look at most of the uh you know significant like american films that have come out in our time the way that black people are depicted or uh intensely white left out says a lot about race in our country right but it's just like it was never touched on in the classes, you know so it's like mm-hmm. uh so it's like you'd watch a clip of birth of a nation and the teacher might say something about like this might be a little rough but it's like look at the editing you know it was just like it was a weird experience right uh, but then at the same time i'd be taking classes in the African american studies department and uh learned a bunch of really interesting things about like perspective and like you know who's telling the story and how does that influence uh how people are depicted you know what are the effects of these images
2: mm-hmm. you know
0: got me thinking on, on a lot of that stuff and i found it really interesting as someone that wanted to make this stuff and enjoyed watching it
2: mm-hmm. and so
0: especially kind of like the thing that was really interesting to me was it's like it's not just you know how many people of color or how many whatever uh, are in the film what's sometimes uh, like an even bigger thing is like who's the person making it, you know, how they write it, you know, like right. the person shooting it, the person that lights it, the person that costumes these people. All those decisions, you know, uh, make a difference. You know, all those decisions, like, influence uh, how, like, you know, if people's humanity, I guess, is, like, properly reflected. Mm-hmm. And so that's something that's always kind of, like, been a big thing with me. And then also, like, uh, in Atlanta in the improv scene, uh, while, like, big improvements have been made, at least like when I started doing improv, it was a similar thing where there was like a, and and still now, like, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, despite, you know, efforts being made, there's still like a general lack of diversity to the point where it's just like when I, when I do improv personally, like I don't really bring up uh, issues of race too much too often, but that's like a big part of like, what i think about it's a big part of like creatively what i'm interested in mm-hmm. and so solo performance in particular offered this unique opportunity for me to kind of like say these things that i didn't really previously feel like i had the like the medium to do even being um at, at Northwestern uh you know it was kind of the same thing you know like with extracurricular so the sketch group that i was a part of for example like it was a weird moment when I first joined the writing staff I was really excited, I was a junior and I was like finally able to like write these sketches for the sketch group that I'd been a part of for a while. And like uh you know, the just cause I think there may have been one black guy in the cast
2: mm-hmm. but not
0: really. You know, like and so I'd write all these sketches with all these what were intended to be black characters, but that would be impossible to film, you right, know? Right,
1: because there are a bunch of, <laughs> of
0: white guys, guys in there. there, right? Yeah, and so I was just like, which I totally get. I mean, it's like can't right, right?
1: It's not, not a co- it's not a complaint yeah. about it. It's just saying this is what the circumstance <laughs> is yeah. oftentimes.
0: Yeah, and so it was really weird, and uh, and actually it was funny. Is um, my senior year I was like, and so I sort of like started to curtail the way that I write, write at the time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then my senior year, uh, there was, uh, it was a, uh, a student in the group. Their dad was, a, is like a very successful, uh, you know, sitcom writer and came, just came to, you know, be a mentor of sorts and like, just hear our pitches and like, hear the sketches that we we're doing. And, uh, one of the sketches that I wrote, uh, was about a person, basically, that had been incarcerated, you know? Mm-hmm. And it wasn't meant to be a take on race. It was just like, oh, this person should be played by a black person. And they said, like, we don't have any black people in the cast. And so that's how I ended up playing it. Like, I was not angling for it or anything like that. Right. Uh, but then that sketch, though, ended up going over really well. You know, like, mm-hmm. people really liked it. And so that's why I was like, oh, maybe I could kind of do this thing. So anyway, like, fast-forwarding to... Uh, 2014 or whatever. I like guess the reason for wanting to do the solo show is just kind of like right. this way I can on. kind of like say what I want to say. It's not like I have to worry about like the demographics of the other people that I'm working with.
2: Mm-hmm. You know, right? You can and do like
0: it. <laughs> yeah, I can just kind of do it. So it was mostly like uh, it's like oh, this, this is the thing that I'm really interested in talking about, and then out of necessity, the easiest way to probably execute it would be if it was like a solo performance. And so since I had um, been taking a solo performance class with Amber, you know, mm-hmm. that's kind of what led to
1: just it. just all came together, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that's why the name of the show is The Magic Negro and Other Blackness, because yeah. you had a bunch of sketches that you'd written about a black experience that only you could play. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what has yeah. been the response to that? You've been doing it for a while now. What has mm-hmm. uh, been the feedback? Have you had any sort of uh, odd situations with feedback or, you know, great mm-hmm. situations with feedback?
0: Yeah, um, it's been, I feel like it's been not too many surprises. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, the main thing that affects how any given audience will react, I think,
2: mm-hmm. is either
0: what is perhaps happening in the news at that particular time. Right. So, like, there have been times when I've been performing the show like, smack dab in the middle of some, like, crazy stuff going on, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then other times when things are, like, a little bit more mellow. So that might affect, like, how an audience, like, walks into the theater. Um, mm-hmm. uh, the other thing that maybe affects it is sometimes I'll do shows and I will be, like, like at a, you know, sometimes at a festival. Sometimes people may not come to see you specifically. They may not know you're on the bill. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they just, like, show up to see a show.
1: <laughs> right, and they're reading so the bill and it's just kind of like you know, improv group name, improv group name, silly yeah. improv group name, magic Negro. Right. and <laughs> Yeah. Yeah.
0: And so like, it may be like an afterthought. And so it may take them a couple of minutes to figure out like what they've gotten themselves into. But generally speaking, because the title, I think is fairly clear. Uh, most of the time people kind of know what they're getting into. Right. I mean, um, I think the only thing that will affect things sometimes is just like, you know, like where people will laugh, for example, is just like the makeup of the audience itself. So, right. uh, I was in uh, Canada this summer uh, in Edmonton in particular for the uh, Edmonton Fringe Festival, which is an awesome experience, which is like this, uh, uh, like their Fringe Festival is the biggest one in North America. So you got like hundreds of shows that come into Edmonton for like, you know, 10 days or whatever. And you get a run of like six or seven shows over the course of these 10 days and the community comes and sees your stuff and all these menus mm-hmm. around town. It's, it's crazy. And, um, uh, but Edmonton, you know, doesn't have, like, any African-American people. I mean, there's some Caribbean, uh, African, mm-hmm. but not, I mean, obviously, like, not that many, like, African-American people, people that were, like, in the United States and then, for whatever reason, happened right. to be what, in Edmonton can't... in the summer of seeing a show. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, I think maybe I met like one <laughs> during the whole time there. Uh, <laughs> the embassy, the show, uh, which isn't surprising or anything, but right. I guess the thing is that it's just like they laugh. They they would laugh during the show, but then there's certain times that uh, they would be uncomfortable. But occasionally, like uh, a black person in the audience would come after the show and tell me, "Hey, man, I really thought this part was funny. I didn't laugh because everybody else was uncomfortable. And right really like the joke. And then, right. Uh, but then, for example, like I was in Detroit a couple months ago, and it's like those moments uh, were kind of flipped because uh, for whatever reason, that particular show, the demographics were, was like there are more black people in the audience than white people. Right. And so, so that is something that can change uh, right. the, like, how people receive it. Um, I did do one show, like it was a workshop performance, and uh, I like uh, handed out feedback cards and got them back, and uh, for the most part, people... Are, are responding uh, either with laughter or discomfort in mostly the same places. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, but I haven't, unless I've just like blocked it out of my mind, I haven't really had anything like
1: too crazy, too unusual. Right. Yeah. It's the uncomfortable thing that I was imagining would happen. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people get uncomfortable about certain things. It's, it's...
0: Yeah, I think the worst that's happened is, like, maybe sometimes someone might walk out. But you never really know why someone's walking out, you know? So yeah, it's that's like, true.
1: There's always so the immediate like, assumption that it's for a negative reason, but it could just be, oh, the babysitter called, I have to go. Yeah,
0: yeah. So it's just like, so that has happened, again, never really knowing why, uh, once... Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. Like a couple months ago, I was in a suburb of Georgia, so not really Atlanta. Atlanta's like a fairly like you know, diverse city, lots of things going on, but you go further right. out from the city, you know, it changes a little bit. And so I was doing uh, a performance uh, in one of the suburbs. and there's a moment where like I do a bit where I intentionally try to do something that's not uh, funny. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's kind of the joke. And so I shout uh, cookies a bunch of times at the <laughs> audience. And I try to set up why I am doing it. There's like a clear reason why I'm doing it. It's not just to mess with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but once the audience members, for whatever reason, didn't get it. And so like, as I was doing this, I could hear them very clearly just saying like, stop it, stop, yeah. you know, which I have never really had that reaction before. i was just like, the whole point of this bit that I told you is that I'm not gonna stop doing this so, uh,
1: <laughs> <laughs> so that that really uh, made that triggered their aversion to it
0: <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> um, uh, once uh in uh, in uh, the first show that I did during the Edmonton French festival uh, you know there's some like cultural differences where it's just, like I say something or I do something, it may not necessarily read the same to an Edmonton crowd. Mm-hmm. And so like the, the running order that I picked for the first show wasn't the best fit. So uh, the mm. so the running order I did for the first show, I switched up for the rest of the run. And uh and I remember uh after the first show I, I, I went off stage. And I was just kind of just backstage and I could hear people talking as they were leaving. And one person just went, Well, that was uncomfortable mm-hmm. <laughs> like not in a good way like they were not a fan Um, uh, I should also say though that being said in that same show the people that came up to me and said they really enjoyed it so I I, I guess what I'm saying is that it's just like um, nothing too crazy in terms of like what people
1: this is whether uh, people are willing to listen to it or not
0: yeah yeah
1: yeah, you know, because that really is the reason people are uncomfortable about things and will say something like, oh, you know, I think it was too much into the race stuff. This is because they didn't want to hear it because it's yeah. uncomfortable that, for them to know. Like I've had a joke uh, when I told a, a, a joke recently that was about the racism that has happened since the election. And yeah. um, first time I told it, it did really well. And I think it was because the crowd was just warm to it and I knew a lot of them and they really enjoyed the joke and thought it was a solid joke but mm-hmm. then I did it somewhere else and the people just didn't want to have to hear any more about the election. Yeah. yeah. Or or the aftermath. And mm-hmm. so they just were not comfortable hearing about <laughs> hearing yeah. about yeah. What, <laughs> what's been going on. But Yeah, yeah. You know, it's hard to know cuz you know, I'm not one of those people that says like, oh, punch up to power. But I do think that art in general brings people together because it says, hey, here's my perspective. And now, Mm -hmm. you know, my perspective. And when we stop being willing to listen to other people's perspective, that's when we're going to be in a really bad place. I think we kind of are in that place. But Mm -hmm. I mean, comedy is the sugar that helps the medicine go down. Yeah, yeah. And that medicine yeah. is, here my perspective, here where I am coming from. That's mm-hmm. one of, that's, I think what I really love about comedy is that we can always say, here's my perspective to people, let me just give it to you in a way that makes it easier for you to stomach it. Right, agreed. Mm-hmm. But uh, you also do teach, you because you, I took a workshop of yours about a yeah, solo. yeah. Yeah, do you do primarily how to do a solo show workshop or do you do uh, any other other uh, uh
0: mostly like i'll teach like sketch writing uh
1: like i teach and coach improv i'll do corporate
0: gigs so like team building gigs um so just kind of uh like an
1: assortment of stuff
0: but i think like what i end up teaching the most tends to be either like sketch writing or uh, improv related stuff
1: right how how's that experience been for you
0: uh, it's okay. Uh, like, uh, it, it, it's pretty good. Like, I'm always trying to figure out better ways to teach. I think the main thing is just like trying to, uh, or trying to get better at understanding like where a particular person is coming from in that class. Yeah, that's was, like,
1: where I'm struggling with as as a coach and a, every once in a while I've taught a couple of things and I'm in that same boat. How do you deal with with that? aspect of someone just not getting what you're saying or whatever?
0: Sure, yeah, I think it's kind of like I try to think about like, you know, why is this person taking this class or in this workshop or whatever it is sometimes um, uh, maybe you're teaching or this is my experience is sometimes like you're teaching someone a little bit more experienced, maybe that knows you or something, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of times the reason they take the class is they just kind of want to understand your process, so it's like you know, I'm trying to see, is there anything that I can like kind of take away from this and apply to this, like, next show I got to do, like, right now, you know? Like, <laughs> right. And so, so I think that they kind of want, like, a more direct, uh, you can kind of, like, talk a little bit more as yourself about, like, experiences that you have, like,
2: mm-hmm. with your performance.
0: Almost kind of like a more advanced kind of approach to it. Mm-hmm. But then other times, like, you'll be teaching a writing class or an improv class. People are, don't want to be performers, don't want to be writers. They're just trying to get uh, more acclimated to it or do it as a hobby, or maybe they're, like, really nervous about trying it. Right. And so in those instances, I try to be more of like a source of support form, you know, and encouragement. Mm -hmm. And it's a little different than like, you know, they don't really need like real serious critique. They need like, keep going, you know, like other people are kind of like, not even necessarily for critique, but it's like, what do you see? What would you suggest to really get better? Right. So, so I feel like it's kind of like, well, where does, where does this person, where is this person coming from? And, And so I try to, Uh, Gauge that by when I first meet students like on the first day of class or whatever Just trying to get a sense of like, you know, what why you know, what's your what's your uh, relationship with comedy? Uh, What are you trying to get out of this workshop? You know, do you do this often and a lot of times in that they'll kind of reveal where they're coming from most of the time, Mm. you know So that's kind of my approach to it.
1: That's a good approach. Do you coach any teams?
0: Uh, I'm not currently coaching teams, but uh, I I've coach I've coached whole teams. So sometimes, like, I'll be coaching several. Currently, like, I'm not a- actually coaching anyone. Uh, but I enjoy that the most, actually. Uh,
1: coaching, coaching is fun. Yeah, I enjoy coaching yeah. too. There, it does come with its w- with its uh, pros and cons. Obviously, um, right, right. You know, with a with a class or a workshop, you can say one basic thing and you just hammer okay. that home and then you wave them goodbye <laughs> but with yeah, yeah. a coach you know it's you're you're with them for a season you're with them for a period of time and you want to make sure that they have all the things that they need at their disposal mm-hmm. and yeah it, that's where it can get kind of hairy to know how to um uh mm-hmm. get them in the right spot or get them in the right place because yeah 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 you're you're not necessarily sure what sort of common goal you can create i mean if if I'm a basketball coach, then I'm trying to have a winning season and get to the championship game, but right, what is the championship game for an improv team
2: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: that's the that's yeah, struggle
0: yeah, yeah, that's a great that's a great question, great point, like, and I feel like sometimes too it's like with and this is just me you know, I don't know what you think like with uh, certain improv teams, I feel like sometimes you watch where they're at and you kind of be like, Oh man, they could get to this level, you know? Right. And I, I do like that. Yeah. Coach, yeah. And as a coach, I guess it's like trying to do everything that you can to try to get them to that next, you know, tier that they definitely have the ability to.
1: to right. Teach. And uh, when they don't think they have that ability or they don't know what you mean or what that next yeah. tier is, or they don't realize what tier they're on, that's where it gets real complicated. To try to figure. Yeah it out. is.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's tough with improv, or at least uh, in Atlanta sometimes. Because it's like most of the time when I coach teams, um, it's for like long form. But in Atlanta, most of the improv, I think it's performed on the weekends. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe not anymore. I guess it's kind of changed. But even still, I would say it's tough to be like, oh, this is where you can go see a Harold. It's kind of tough to do that uh, in Atlanta. So I guess what, I, I, I don't know, like, so it is kind of challenging. I, I find myself, like, trying to show, like, tapes of stuff to people or, like, uh, I was trying to recommend someone, like, if they can, you know, like,
1: go to a festival or, like, a you know, festivals in town, try and check that out. But, yeah, I agree. Yeah. This is challenging. Yeah. Well, this seems like a good spot to end and move on to the creating something together process. What could we That's create right. together?
0: Oh, man, I'm open to anything. Uh, not quite sure, yeah, but I'm open to
1: anything. Well, maybe if I were going to create a one-man show, okay, what, great. What, yeah. what could I do? So you came through it based on things you had written because of your perspective and things that were on your mind a lot and mm-hmm. brought them all together over time because you couldn't do them <laughs> before. But, yeah. um is there any sort of, when you say I'm going to do this show, this solo show, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, were there a bunch of different ideas you had or did you kind of know immediately what you wanted to do? Uh,
0: I knew I wanted to deal with uh, representation of black men in media. So like, even though it's kind of like a wide net, like I knew that I also intentionally wanted to like cast a wide net, uh, mm-hmm. but that was something in particular that I knew I was interested in. But the way that I would approach it, I wasn't precisely sure. So that's a right. big reason why that uh, class, for example, was helpful. Uh, but also, I'm fortunate in that like being a part of like the Daz Garage community, there are tons of other people making stuff all the time that have really great mm-hmm. taste. So it's easy to pick other people's brains and be like, these are ideas that I have. Does this make sense to you? And they'll be, either be like, yes or no. And, you know, mm-hmm. and it's it's mm-hmm that's super helpful.
1: Um, You say it's casting a wide net, but it's maybe not too broad. I mean, the thing that would come to my mind immediately would be, if I were going to do a solo show, is thinking about what connects us all. That might be a little mm -hmm. too wide. I might need to Mm -hmm. refine that a little bit, wouldn't I? Well,
0: well, I guess, like, uh, maybe if you already have an answer in your head of, like, what connects us all, you know? So, it's just like,
2: Hmm. if
0: you maybe thought about the ways that you think, if you thought about the things act, that actually connect us all and whatever that list is for you, maybe right. That provides the focus. Okay. You know? Okay. Uh, or it's just like, or maybe if you frame that question in the form of an answer, you know, that like what also connects like, us all. Yeah. If you just answer that, um, in the, in the form of a sentence or a couple of sentences, maybe that pro- could potentially provide.
1: Okay. Uh,
0: focus to it, you know? Yeah. Um, um, mm-hmm
1: and then when you're trying to really uh bring it all together with like a name how do you mm-hmm. cuz you're, ne- you're you mentioned earlier that the name of the show uh magic negro and other blackness kind of mm-hmm. uh, that name alone lets people know what they're in for how did you yeah. craft that name
0: uh actually it was during a brainstorming session with a friend of mine uh and uh and then uh Well, it was a couple things. Well, I knew that I wanted to have the magic meter in the title. Mm -hmm. So that came from brainstorming with another friend of mine. And then I think and Other Blackness was like an off-the-cuff
1: sort of
0: thing.
1: (laughs) Uh, It's such a great name because there is that whole... There was a lot of talk at one point, too, about how a lot of the depiction of of African-American males was that they had their magic, you know, like Legend of Bagger Vance and all these kind of things where it was... If if a black guy got a big role, it was because he was this magical <laughs> Negro yeah. who could come yeah. in, <laughs> had all this wisdom, which I yeah. think I'm sure came from a good place in people's hearts, too, of just like, yeah. hey, you know how, you know, black people are so nice and helpful? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. then it ends up being reduced to too much of a, too little of a of a trope.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. good to that's good to sort of process on and try to figure out how to structure a show. Are there any other sort of uh things that you went through or processes you went through to uh...
0: Yeah. Uh uh something that I think was really helpful for me, I think, was uh uh I, during the process of writing the show. I, I just journal a lot. Uh mm-hmm. so it's just like it helped with the writing process mm-hmm. where it was just like just like every morning, just like like write three pages
1: and like maybe yeah, on to specific so, on the specific subject or just about anything
0: uh, generally about anything, but making sure that I did give thought to the show. So right. it's just like, so, so uh, another thing that was really useful as I got sketches accumulated, hmm. uh, I would like write them on index cards and then like post them up on a wall and just like just constantly think about the running order of the show. Mm -hmm. And so I think like just journaling about it, always having it up on the wall, it just kind of like gets in your brain a little bit. So you're kind of always thinking about it. Uh, I think picking something, uh, like the subject you mentioned, you know, sounds like you're passionate about it. I think that that's important. Mm -hmm. Just something that you could just like spat off on, I think is important. Uh, asking yourself, you know, why is it, what is it about the show that's important to you? What do you want the audience to really take away from it? Um, so even if you don't necessarily get those answers right away, like, you know, what are you saying in the show? Why are you saying it? Why is it important? Who are you saying it to? What do you hope they come away with? Th- those, those kind of things, I feel like uh, if that's, it's very least in the back of your mind. So like, don't let it, like, uh, at the same time, it's just like, feel free to like create stuff, like, cast that wide net. But if you're then looking to come back around and focus it, those are all questions that I think are helpful.
1: Oh, very good questions to ask yourself. Yeah. When you are presenting the material, of course, you have a particular mindset of how you want people to take it. How do you Mm -hmm. handle people not taking it that way? I mean, obviously, there's so many different kinds of people out there. You can't control how everyone receives information as hard as you may try. How do you not freak out (laughs) over misunderstandings?
0: Sure. I mean, I think I kind of do a little bit. I mean, that's part of the process. I think is that like I do freak out with the reaction. <laughs> so it's just like, uh, so it's just like, um, I uh, I think I try new material like in little bits a lot of times. So it's just like there are shows around Atlanta that I'll do where it's just like, hmm, I don't know if this piece is a good fit. Let me just do this piece at this place and see how people react or, like, let me show this person this script. And a lot of times, like, I miss the mark. I'm like, okay, lesson learned. you know. Um, I think the other thing, too, and this is just maybe just because I come from, like, a more comedic background, is that I, um, if I do something, if I do something that's, like, kind of, like, pushes a button or goes kind of far or whatever, Mm -hmm. I try to make sure that, it's couched in as much comedy as possible. So I, I try to make the show like, I guess this is more specific to my particular show, but I try to make sure that there are as many laughs in it as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so it's not like I'm concerned about the show always getting laughs. Like, I don't really care about that. But I guess what I'm saying is that like, I feel like I, I think about someone, okay, someone that disagrees with me or doesn't want to see the show, if I could get them to laugh, Somewhere, I feel like that's sort of like an implicit form of agreement. You know what I'm saying? So it's just <laughs> yeah. like I, I. So I guess that because uh, you're like acknowledging what I said was true, I think. So right. I, they, I guess i at least
1: understand it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, there's some sort of common ground. They're though. connecting think, there. Yeah. Yeah. So I, so I guess like another thing that I try to think about is like, uh, and I guess that's, maybe that's one thing that's sort of changing about the show. But but for the most part, I go back and forth on it. For the most part, I'm also trying to make the funniest show possible. Um, But what that actually means, I guess, is
1: changing. Right. Well, excellent. There it is. Thanks Thanks for being on the pocket. Yeah, that was so great. Uh, Thanks for chatting. Oh, thanks.
0: I really appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. It was great. It was great.
1: What a great chat, right? There's so much you could get from that. I thought it was a really fun fun talk. He's a really great dude. Uh, Really enjoyed having him on and I hope you learned a lot. I certainly did. If you want to know more about him, you can go to his Facebook at Mark Kendall ATL. And you can keep up on what he's doing and and follow him. Definitely like his page. Keep up with him. Tell him hello. Tell him I sent you. And if you are ever in Atlanta, go check out one of his shows. He also talked about Dad's Garage in there. You can check out them at dadsgarage.com. Well, I hope you join us next week. Definitely follow me on Twitter at There It Is Pod and at Jason Far Jokes. Also like us on Facebook at There It Is Pod. Go to ThereItIsPod.com. Find out some old stuff and join us next week. We're going to have on a very cool guest. I'll let you know about it when it happens. (laughs) Until next time, be good to each other.